Mr. Robbins. What? Value this time in your life, kids. Because this is the time in your life when you still have your choices. And it goes by so fast. When you're a teenager, you think you can do anything, and you do. Your 20s are a blur. 30s, you raise your family, you make a little money, and you think to yourself, what happened to my 20s? 40s, you grow a little pot belly, you grow another chin. The music starts to get too loud. One of your old girlfriends from high school becomes a grandmother. 50s, you have a minor surgery. You'll call it a procedure, but it's a surgery. 60s, you'll have a major surgery. The music is still loud, but it doesn't matter because you can't hear it anyway. The 70s, you and the wife retire to Fort Lauderdale. Start eating dinner at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. You have lunch around 10, breakfast the night before. Spend most of your time wandering around malls looking for the ultimate soft yogurt and muttering, how come the kids don't call? How come the kids don't call? The 80s, you'll have a major stroke. You end up babbling to some Jamaican nurse who your wife can't stand, but who you call mama. Any questions? <laughs> so uh, Billy Crystal offers an interesting perspective on life and aging, uh, sort of depressing perspective, actually. But is that really what we have to look forward to as we grow older? Wandering around malls trying to find the best soft yogurt? Or, or is there more to life than that, more to aging than that? You know, today we're going to be looking at a passage that, that helps us answer that question. It gives us a picture of what it looks like to finish well. If you have your Bible or iPad or whatever, turn to Genesis chapter 46. We are in the midst of a teaching series in the book of Genesis. For several weeks we've been looking together at the life of Joseph as described in the latter chapters of Genesis. Even though Joseph is the primary character in this section, um, there is another significant figure, and that is Joseph's father, Jacob. Jacob's story actually begins in, all the way back in chapter 25. So, so nearly half of this book involves the life of Jacob in some way which is especially fascinating given the kind of person Jacob was. He was a deceiver growing up. He longed for his dad's affection, never got it. He was insecure. He was a lousy dad. He doted on Joseph and eventually created such jealousy and hatred in the family that the brothers sold Joseph into slavery, but then they go tell Jacob that Joseph was killed by wild animals. So for 22 years, Jacob is filled with grief. Through a variety of circumstances, including a huge famine, Joseph and his brothers are reunited in Egypt. And so the sons head home to tell their aging father that Joseph is actually still alive, and then to bring um, Jacob and his family back to Egypt to live there. And Jacob is absolutely stunned by the news that Joseph is still alive. Initially, he doesn't believe it, but finally they convince him. And so Jacob says, I'll go and see him before I die. And so they load up all their stuff and they head to Egypt. And that's where the story picks up in Genesis 46, where we see how Jacob lives the final season of his life. And what we learn here in, in chapters 46 and 47, we learn what it looks like to finish well. You know, from, from Billy Crystal's perspective in City Slickers, finishing this life does not seem very purposeful at all. You know, you just go, get old and wander around shopping malls. But from God's perspective, our whole life is meant to be lived on purpose. Whatever season we're in, and that includes the latter years of our life, 
God wants us to finish well, to leave a positive, enduring legacy. Now, you may think this teaching doesn't apply to you if you're not over 60 or whatever, but it does apply to all of us because what we learn, what we learn here are the things that are valuable to God, the things that are worth giving our attention to. And that's a question we need to be answering at any stage of our lives. I mean, in a very real sense, we are always building a legacy. We're always building a legacy, no matter what age we're at. It's just that when we get older, we're more aware of the legacy we're building. We're thinking about it more. But we're always building a legacy. So what kind of legacy are we building? What does it look like to finish well? There are four specific things that we learn from the life of Jacob that can help steer all of us in our lives, okay? Four things. First of all, we learn that finishing well involves deepening trust. Deepening trust. Look with me at Genesis 46, beginning in verse 1. So Israel, or Jacob, set out with all that was his, and when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Okay, so why did Jacob stop at Beersheba and offer sacrifices? Beersheba was sort of his hometown. It was where he grew up and where he deceived his brother Esau. When he lived in Beersheba, um, he he had to flee for his life. Um, So he stopped at a certain place. Right after he he left Beersheba, fleeing for his life, he stopped at a certain place. Later, he, he called it Bethel. And he went to sleep. And he had a dream. And in this dream, God said to him, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. Okay, so Jacob has this promise from God years ago, years ago, that this land is going to be his and that his descendants will multiply in this land. But right now he's moving to Egypt. It appears that this promise is not happening. So what does Jacob do? He stops at this place and he offers sacrifices to God. He is still turning his heart Godward even when he doesn't understand what God is doing. I mean, here's a guy who has had a really hard life. Things have not gone his way. His family is sort of a mess. He's a widower, and now he's having to move out of this land that God had promised him and move to an unfamiliar place. It would be very easy for disillusionment to set in. I mean, isn't that what happens to us as the years kind of go by and maybe life isn't turning out the way that we thought it would? Maybe there are certain dreams we had vocationally or relationally that haven't really come to fruition. And we wake up one day and we think, is is this it? Is this what I worked so hard for? And it's very easy for us to become, in those seasons, to become cynical, right? Or to become angry. For others, sometimes this disillusionment, this sometimes midlife crisis stuff, but it can happen in any places in our lives, but sometimes this disillusionment leads to passivity. We just gradually start to turn away from God. Often it's not even a conscious decision. We just start to lose interest in him. Maybe we try and fill our lives with 
red sports cars or whatever we do at midlife, but fill our lives with other things, hoping they're going to satisfy. But whatever the case is, we drift from God in our disillusionment. But not Jacob. Even in the midst of his dreams, seemingly being put in jeopardy before his eyes, Jacob chooses to turn his heart Godward. He is choosing to trust. And something really cool happens when he does. Verse 2, and God spoke to Jacob. He spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. God meets him there. And he speaks into his life and into his situation. Don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. I'm in this. I'm still at work. I mean, what an encouragement that must have been for Jacob. Here he is in transition, transitioning to a place he doesn't want to go. He's disillusioned with life. And, 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 and God speaks directly into his situation. And you know what? I believe the Bible teaches God does the same thing with us. He has given us his spirit to speak to us and to lead us and to encourage us. But that kind of intimacy with the spirit requires a heart that is Godward focused. A heart that is filled with childlike faith and trust. When things are not turning out the way we had hoped, we can either let disillusionment begin to take root in our hearts or we can continue to cultivate intimacy with God, choosing to look to him and trust him. And in that place of trust, the spirit may want to speak to us words of encouragement. Are we listening? Are we listening? So the first quality we see in a person who finishes well is deepening trust. Their relationship with God is growing deeper as life progresses, even if things aren't turning out the way they want or the way they had hoped. Some of you here are perhaps at a place in your life where you could go either way right now. Seriously, you could go either way. You could just kind of drift into a state of apathy and disillusionment and disconnect with God. Maybe you've already kind of headed down that road because of how life is turning out and not the way you wanted to turn out. You could do that. Or you can choose to be a man or woman after God's heart, leaning more deeply into your relationship with him. The choice is yours, but that choice will significantly impact the legacy you leave. It's a huge choice. Significantly impact the legacy you leave. Okay, secondly, we learn that finishing well involves deepening family relationships. Deepening family relationships. Now, I've already made it clear that Jacob is not a great model for us in terms of how to be a dad and how to be a husband. But there is something that happens in the text here that I find intriguing. The author of Genesis, it was Moses, um, we know that from Jesus' words later, um, but the author of Genesis, Moses, devotes a fairly large amount of this text in this chapter to Jacob and his family. 
Um, in fact, so we read in verse 5, Then Jacob left Beersheba, and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. So Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt, taking with them livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan. Jacob brought with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons and his daughters and granddaughters, all his offspring. And then the text goes on to name each one and their children and grandchildren. And it describes, you know, in detail, the offspring of each of, of the brothers. And this section then concludes in verse 27 with the author telling us that there were 70 people in all. Okay, so as Jacob is making this move, he is doing so surrounded by family. Even in the midst of all the struggles that they had, family is still important. These relationships are still intact and even growing. I mean, look with me at verse 28. Now Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to get directions to Goshen. Now, I don't want to read too much into this text here, but one thing that's usually really difficult for a guy to do is ask for directions, right? And, And so the fact that Jacob is asking Judah to go ahead of him and make sure they're headed in the right direction. That says something. Judah has earned this place of trust in the mind of Jacob. And so so it seems that Jacob is, as, as Jacob's growing older, his family relationships are an important part of his life. This is a critical aspect of finishing well. It involves a commitment to give priority to our family relationships. Even as we age and as our children leave the home and they start jobs or perhaps get married or move away, are we staying connected to them? Are we still giving priority to those relationships? You know, this is one of those areas that, 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 you know, that, that, that starts early, not just when we're, when we're aging. If you're married and you have children... Or you're not married, you have children. If you're a parent here, this is, let me just ask, what priority are you giving to your children? What priority are you giving to your spouse, to your family? You know, many of us who are old enough remember the song, Cats in the Cradle, right? Um, And I'm I'm dating myself here, but uh, here, here are some of the words, Cats in the Cradle. My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way. But there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. And he was talking before I knew it. And as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I've got a lot to do. He said, that's okay. And he walked away. But his smile never dimmed, and he said, I'm going to be like him. Yeah, you know I'm going to be like him. And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man on the moon, when you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. Last verse. I've long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I can find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle and kids have the flu, but it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, 
He'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. When we don't give priority to our family relationships, our marriage, our children, the impact is huge. I mean, we have seen in Genesis how Isaac's neglect of Jacob, remember that story? You know, we looked at it a couple years ago. Isaac's neglect of Jacob negatively impacted Jacob, impacted Jacob throughout his life. And then Jacob continued the same dysfunction in his own family, favoring Joseph over the other son. That decision resulted in tons of heartache. You see, the, the earlier we understand this, the better. Our families deserve priority in our lives. As Andy Stanley says, no one at home should feel like they're competing with someone at work. No one at home should feel like they're competing with someone at work, which means while our kids are at home, our golf handicap may suffer. We may have to say no to some things we want to do so that we can give priority to our children. One day when they're out of the home, you can do whatever, the other things, these hobbies and pursuits, some of these other things that take time and you want to do them, but sometimes we have to say no to those things now. We can say yes to them later we give, so we can give priority to our family. And, and as we age and, and our children grow up and move out of the house, you know, these, these, obviously these things change, but the, not the priority of these relationships. We may not be seeing our children as often or once they're adults out of the home. We may not be seeing them as often, but do they still have priority? Do they still have a priority in our lives? I remember talking with a friend who had just been through a really difficult personal situation, extremely painful, challenging for him and his family. And, and he had just been through this. And so we were meeting, and he started talking about his dad's response, his own father's response, when he told him what had happened, what was going on. He said his dad on the phone, his dad asked a few questions, and that was it. And with tears in his eyes, my, my friend said, if it was my adult son going through a crisis like this, I would have been on the first plane to be with him. Don't think your adult children don't need you just because they're now on their own. And I, I'm not talking about hovering and controlling. No, I'm just talking about loving and caring being attentive to them and, and, and what they might need from you in terms of prayer or encouragement or hanging out time or taking an interest in them, stepping into their world maybe when crisis hits or when difficulties happen. As, as we grow older, are we giving attention to our families, loving them well? Even throughout our life, are we doing this? That's a critical part of what it looks like to finish well deepening family relationships. Well, third, we see that finishing well involves deepening influence. Deepening influence. This is, there's this fascinating encounter that occurs in chapter 47. The brothers of Joseph go before Pharaoh to get permission to live in a really nice area in Egypt. And, and Pharaoh says, yes. And then we read this, verse 7. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob in. And presented him before Pharaoh. After Jacob blessed Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked him, how old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my pilgrimage are 130. My years have been few and difficult. 
and they do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my fathers. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went away from his presence. Okay, so Jacob goes to meet Pharaoh, the most powerful man on earth at the time. And there are a couple of things in this encounter that I find significant. One is the fact that Pharaoh asks how old Jacob is. In our culture, that's a question you don't ask. Right? You do not ask that question. And the reason you don't in our culture is because in our culture, aging is viewed as a bad thing. It's viewed as something to be avoided. It's a bad thing. No one wants to let anyone else know how old they are. There is a strong emphasis on being and looking young. Our culture values this, and I don't think it's a very healthy value. Here Pharaoh asks how old Jacob is because age was something that was valued in that culture. Age represented wisdom. It was something to be respected So how about us? I mean, do we look up to people older than us? Do we see them as a resource for wisdom? Given the fact that they've lived a whole lot longer than we have, they've experienced more than us, do we look up to them? Or do we just kind of dismiss them because they're older? Now there's another thing happening here as well that the author mentions twice. Jacob blessed Pharaoh. This whole idea of blessing was a a very significant thing in the Hebrew culture. Blessing was not simply speaking some nice sentiment towards another person. Have a blessed day, you you know, good luck, whatever. No, blessing in a biblical sense, blessing involves the imparting of something to another person. It's an actual spiritual impartation to another person. So at the end of our worship services, when someone stands up here and gives a blessing, those aren't just nice words for dismissing the service. They are an actual imparting of something from God to you. So blessing involves an actual spiritual transfer. For years, I have prayed a blessing over my children almost every night before they go to bed. Years. Um, I lay a hand on them, and I pray for them, and then I speak a blessing over them. Usually the blessing found in Numbers chapter 6. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. From Numbers chapter 6 in the Old Testament. I believe it's an incredibly significant thing. It's a privilege as a father to do this. And I think it's an incredibly powerful thing for my children. And our children. Okay, so Jacob, the shepherd from Canaan, <laughs> blesses Pharaoh. He speaks a blessing from God onto the most powerful man in the world. Now, here's the principle that we can glean from this to finish well involves using our influence to help and bless others whenever God opens a door for that. See, my my hunch is that many older people don't see themselves in this way. I've heard retired people say, oh, I've done my time in church. Now it's time for others to do the work. Oh, really? I mean, since when does the Bible ever encourage us to retire from building God's kingdom and influencing other people? When does that happen? 
Our specific ministry may change because of our stamina or whatever, but as followers of Jesus, we never retire from God's call upon our lives to influence other people. There's no retirement clause in the Great Commission, I don't think, right? Because this whole idea of influence is rooted in the foundational command from Matthew 28. Jesus told us to go and make, what? Disciples. Go and make disciples. That's what we are to be about our whole lives, making disciples, influencing people for Jesus. I saw a great example of this uh, at a luncheon a couple weeks ago for Jobs of Hope. Jobs of Hope is a program here in town that a few churches, including ours, has brought to our community. They help former gang members to be mentored and find jobs, especially when they're coming out of prison. And in doing so, their their lives get turned around. And at at this luncheon, I, I heard one of the young men in the program share his story. Talked about how he grew up in this area, had no father figure in the home. The one thing he was good at was stealing. And so he did that a lot. He got caught, went to prison for two years. At that time, he was like 19 years old. His girlfriend was pregnant. When he got out, two years later, he couldn't get a job to support his family. He couldn't find a job. No one would hire him because he had a criminal record, right? And he heard about Jobs of Hope, and he got into their program, and they, they helped him with life skills and helped him find a job, and he's now doing great. He's working at a company here in town and doing great, earning trust and all that. But the cool thing was, hearing him share about his mentoring relationship with a man from our church. They meet weekly, and they talk about life and parenting and marriage and he, he, he you know he never had a father growing up right never had a model for this kind of stuff so he said that that relationship has had and continues to have a huge impact in his life his mentor has helped him and 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 his growing family find a place to live I mean his life is completely different because of the influence of this one man let me let me ask a legacy question for all of us here Are you investing your life in people younger than you? And I really don't care if you're in high school or you're 75 years old. Are you investing your life in people younger than you? You can make a huge difference in the life of a younger person. I mean, I know Jobs of Hope is looking for men to be mentors. There are many, many other opportunities as well. Now, you may think, I know some of you are thinking, I, I, I wouldn't know what to do. I don't know how to be a mentor. I don't know, that, you know, it's intimidating. I don't know what to do or say. A lot of times, you know what? All you have to do is, and you can take notes if you want, show up, ask questions, and listen. And then when you have some resources that could actually help them, you offer those resources, whether it's wisdom or whatever, the book or whatever it happens to be. Show up, <laughs> ask questions, listen. You have way more wisdom than you realize. And don't forget also the amazing power of love, especially in the lives of people who have not experienced much of that. Again, the question, where are you investing your life? Many many retired people just sort of focus on puttering around and doing hobbies, which is certainly okay for part of that time. Totally understand that. That's cool. Pursue hobbies. But, but imagine the impact if you also invested in the lives of others with the time that you have. You invest in the lives of others. I know retired guys, they're meeting, they're meeting for coffee every morning of the week, and it's not just for the coffee. They are impacting others. 
They're meeting with younger men. They're, they're discipling. They're, they're influencing others. I mean, that's where you can make a huge impact for generations. Finishing well involves deepening influence in the lives of others. Now, let me, let me apply this in another context here. One of our primary roles as parents is discipling our kids. Again, you may think, I don't know what to do. That sounds so intimidating. I don't know what to do. Or whatever. Let, me, let me tell you what to do. Again, you can kind of take notes here if you want. Here, here's what you need to do. Here's what you can do. Take them out to breakfast or a milkshake once a week. Okay? Start there or every other week, whatever. And when you get together, ask how they're doing. Listen to them. Encourage them. See if they have anything that you can pray for them about and, they, and then pray for them right there. Dads, moms, you can do this. <laughs> you can do this. In fact, you must do this. Some parents think that, that, that their primary responsibility is to just get their kids to youth group or get their kids to church. And I mean, that's great. Our youth group is, is fantastic. But, but what we forget as parents is that we are the ones primarily responsible for discipling our kids. Your church's, excuse me, your child's spiritual growth is not, your, is not the church's responsibility. It's yours and mine as parents. It's not the church's responsibility. We're doing, all, we're doing what we can, but, but, but you have way more hours with them than we do. The Bible is very clear. Parents, you have the primary responsibility for discipling your children. And I'm not talking about some intensive discipleship course or whatever, you know, two hours a night, all this stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about what's described in Deuteronomy chapter 6, which you can look at later. It's basically this idea that as we're doing life, we are intentionally, consistently pointing our children to Jesus, helping them grow in him. Again, parents, we must make our children's spiritual growth a huge priority. We must. It's our responsibility not anyone else's. It's our responsibility before the Lord. So again, influence. We're talking about influence. Discipling begins in the home. Okay, let me mention one other aspect of finishing well, and that's deepening hope. <clears throat> deepening hope. We're told that Jacob lived another 17 years. Then in Genesis 47, 29, when the time drew near for Israel to die, or Jacob to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, if I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say, he said. Swear to me, he said. Then Joseph swore to him. And Israel worshiped as he leaned on top of his staff. I love this picture. Jacob's body is failing. He knows his time is soon at hand. So he calls for Joseph and asks him to promise that he will take Jacob's body to be buried in Canaan with Isaac and Abraham. Even here, he is still focused on the promise God gave, right? The promise is about the land. So Jacob is still focused on the promise God gave. And I love how the text describes this. Jacob worshiped as he leaned on top of his staff. He can't even stand on his own. 
He is leaning on the top of his staff just to stand up. And we are told that he worshiped the Lord. He expressed praise and gratitude to God in that moment. Even as death was nearing, his heart was focused on the promise that was coming. Now for us, on this side of the cross, we're on the, we're on the better side of the cross here, right? On this side of the cross of Jesus, we too can focus on the promise as we near the end of our lives. The promise of heaven. The promise of fullness of life forever in God's presence when we die. Even as we take our last breath, we can know that Jesus has secured that home for us. We need not fear death. Jesus says in John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? There's the promise that Jesus who died and rose from the dead now lives and is preparing a place for all who know him as Savior. And that promise can enable us to finish well. So that right up to the end, even when our strength is failing, we can worship Jesus with every breath we have. We can worship Jesus and eagerly anticipate the glories to come. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's pray together. Holy Spirit, would you come and, and apply the things you want us to hear? I, I don't care if people remember the four points or anything. I just care that you are taking a couple ideas here and you're, you're applying them to each one of our hearts. And you're encouraging us to do something with that. In fact, as we were praying before the service, someone had a picture, and you can just keep an attitude of purpose. Someone had a picture in prayer of this, this idea of, and we all can relate to this. We're speeding along this road, right? Going 65 miles or whatever, 75, we're going full blast there on this road. And there's this sign that says scenic um, stop or scenic, scenic lookout, right? Now, a lot of times we just blow past those things. But what he, he felt like the Lord was saying tonight is that he's wanting us to take the scenic exit. Because when we do, all of a sudden, we have a vision. We have a picture, a scene that we have never, it takes our breath away. And some of us here are going so fast, just traveling down life's highway. And tonight is an opportunity for us to take a scenic stop and to look at our lives look at where we're headed and maybe make some adjustments so that we can finish well. And so Holy Spirit, I pray for that you would give us a vision of where our life is headed right now and a vision of what it could be, where it could be headed. So there are some of us here Maybe the issue is deepening trust. Maybe for you, life has not turned out the way you want, want it, the way you had hoped. Maybe relationally or vocationally. Maybe you're, you're, you're in a midlife crisis, you're cynical, you're angry, or maybe you're just passive. 
And Jesus is inviting you to run to him in a deepening way, no matter what else is happening in your life, to be a man or a woman after his heart, to press into him. So Lord, I want to pray for those who that's where they're at. I pray you would draw them into intimacy with you, deepening intimacy with you. There are others of you here, maybe it was the deepening family relationships. You realize, man, as life's travel along here, you're busy and, 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 and maybe not making the time that you need to make for your family to give priority. Maybe some of your hobbies, some of your pastimes, need to, you need to put them on hold for a while, for maybe a few years or a number of years. Because what could be more important than the role you have right now as a mom or a dad? So Lord, I want to just pray into that if, that you would be giving a vision to people of, of the kind of dad or mom you want them to be and the impact they can have. And again, what could be more important than that? So I pray for them. And maybe for you, it's the area of deepening influence. This question, where are you investing your life? Maybe you're retired, maybe you're not, but just where are you investing your life? Are you investing your life in people in some way, in people younger than you where you can help them and mentor them and influence them and and bless them? Or are you just kind of spending your time doing all these other things that ultimately don't matter in the scheme of eternity? And let me just again invite you as parents, are, are, we, are we investing in our children? Are we discipling our children? And maybe you're like, I don't even know what that looks like. That's okay. The Lord wants to help you. There are resources available to help. But maybe the Lord just wants to give you a vision of that and, and hear from you a commitment to say, yeah, I want to I do a better job influencing others, investing in others. So, Lord, I want to pray for those who that's the the vision you're giving them to invest their lives in a more strategic way in younger, people younger than them. So I pray for that. And I pray we wouldn't make this complicated. You would lead us, Holy Spirit, as we invest our lives this way. And then for some of us here, maybe it's just deepening hope. Maybe you're getting older. Maybe others around you are getting older and you're seeing that. And, and there's a sense in which is this all life has to offer, just getting older and, and then eventually dying. But there is a hope we have that even when we take our last breath, <laughs> we can pr- be praising the Lord. We can be speaking his name. We can be worshiping him. So thank you for the hope we have, Lord. And we pray that our eyes would be fixed on that hope tenaciously as we grow older and as we near the end of our lives here, we would be tenaciously clinging to that hope and and that we would be people who are worshiping you even then with our last breath. So we thank you, God. We want to be a people who finish well. So thank you for teaching us from your word, Lord. And thank you for this opportunity we have to worship you, to worship you, to respond with worship. So why don't we stand? If you want to sit down at some point, that's fine, but why don't we stand?
Initially, the altar is open. We have intercessors available to my right and my left. They're wearing red lanyards. They would love to pray for you, anything, for healing, for encouragement, for whatever you need. Don't be afraid. Don't be too proud to ask for help, for prayer. So, Lord, we want to pray for you to pour out your spirit through our intercessors, that as they pray for people, you would pour out healing and life and power and encouragement and joy. And set us free right now, Lord. Set us free to worship you in spirit and truth, Lord. Set us free to do that, we pray.